Thank you, Brother Ricky. Appreciate you leading us this morning. If you have a Bible, turn with me, if you will, please, to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. As we sit on the cusp of a brand new day of our church with a new pastor coming to lead us and guide us as how we minister to this city and how we fulfill the great commission that has been entrusted to us here in the city of New Orleans, we need to think for a few moments together this morning about, okay, what does this relationship look like between us, the congregation, us, the people of God, the body of Christ here at First Baptist New Orleans, and our new pastor. And so that's what we want to focus on today. There's been opportunity to do that today uh, as we look in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 13. We're going to read verse number 17 through verse number 19 this morning. And the author of Hebrews, we don't know who that was. But he has said much to the people that he writes to. As you remember, we were in chapter 11 several, several weeks ago, or several months ago at this point, and we saw how the author of Hebrews has been trying to show us that Jesus is better, better than the law, better than the prophets, better than any of those things that had gone before, any of the other leaders like Moses or, or David or any of those other things, that Christ was the fulfillment. And he urged the people to make absolutely sure that they didn't make the same mistake that the Jews had made. And that is that they never really entered into the rest of salvation that is in Jesus Christ. And so if we do anything else, we must do that. That's been the large theme across the trajectory of the book of Hebrews. But he closes the book in chapter 13 with some basic final instructions for them. So Hebrews chapter 13, verse number 17 is where we'll pick up. We'll read through verse number 19. Listen to what the Word of God has to say. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive. For they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Pray for us, for we are confident that we have good conscience in the things desiring to and in the things and desire to live honorably. But I especially urge you to do this that I may be restored to you sooner. Let's pray. Father, we do come before you this day just to say thank you for the new day that you brought to us here at First Baptist. We are excited, we are grateful, and we are eager, Lord, to have Chad and Cole and the rest of the Gilbert family here with us, and we are eager for this new day of leadership to start. We cannot wait to begin building and thinking and, and getting after the ministry that you have given us here in the city of New Orleans in a new way. We thank you, Lord, for all the faithful ministry that has happened here up until this point. But we cannot but be excited right now for this new day and this new chapter. And we pray your blessings upon Chad and upon Cole. Father, we also pray that you would help us as the people of God here at First Baptist New Orleans. That you would help us to all, once again, even right now, to take the time and to be very intentional in our lives to reassess our loyalty, our commitment, and our devotion to the body of Christ here at First Baptist and to the work that you have called us to do and to get after. Help us all, Father, to assess our lives in such a way that we see those places where we're really not giving to you and to your body what we ought and to redouble our commitments, Father, again, to being faithful members of this body for the good of this city, and for the good of the gospel going forth in it. Help us, Father, to be faithful in that task. 
and use us as we do that. Bless our new pastor in this work. Help us this day to think about our relationship to him and how we interact with him and how we walk along with him. So Father, bless us in this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's the question for us this morning. How should we relate to the new pastor? How should we, the congregation, welcome them in? And then more importantly, in the weeks, the months, the years that follow, how should we walk alongside them? What is that supposed to look like in a body like this? Now let's be honest and candid for just a moment. There have been thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of relationships like this throughout the history of the church congregations and their pastor. In the Baptist world, in case you're new to this, we do it a little bit differently than everybody else. In other denominations, the denomination would pick who we would have had as our next pastor. And yet, it would have gone a lot quicker, sure, but you and I would have had absolutely no say. You and I would have had no ability whatsoever to get on our face before God and pray and say, God, who would you want to be our next pastor? So in Baptist life, particularly Southern Baptist life, we are autonomous. We, the body of Christ, make that decision together as you did last week. It's a unique moment and it's a unique day. As we think about this new relationship, just think for a moment about all the different kinds of relationships that there have been between the church and their pastor. Right? There have been some relationships throughout the history of the church that have not gone well at all. The congregation has not really walked with this pastor. This congregation has not really uh, supported the vision or the mission or been in submission to what this pastor is trying to get to do. There, there have been lots of cases of that throughout history. There have been other scenarios on the other side of that where the congregation understood that their job, their role in all of this was ultimately to co-labor in it. Yes, it is all of our responsibility not just the new pastor and not just the ministerial team. It is all of our responsibility to execute the mission that Christ has given us, and that is to fulfill the Great Commission. And yet God has indeed assigned a very unique role and responsibility within this body to the man, Chad Gilbert, that you voted on last week. And when this is done properly, we, the body of Christ, come alongside in a supportive way where we follow the vision and the mission and the direction of our new pastor. And so today we want to think about that. What is that relationship supposed to look like? Let me say four things to us this morning. These four things are going to answer two big questions. Number one, what must be done? And number two, why must it be done? I'll say two things about each one of those questions. So first question, what must be done? What are we supposed to be doing? Number one, we are to follow his spiritual leadership. Now, the job of the pastor is to come in and, yes, preach, and yes, counsel, and yes, do all of those things, but those are, those are regular normative activities. The, the job of the pastor is also to come in and act as a shepherd to the church. And the shepherd leads and guides the sheep. He leads them in such a way that he keeps them out of harm's way, and he takes them to green pastures and to still waters. Remember the 23rd Psalm? The shepherd will lead the sheep in such a way that they, are, they avoid harm and they achieve the good. And yet they do that in such a way that they also, as the collective body of Christ, execute the mission of God. And so there is indeed an instruction in the Word of God for the people of God to listen to and to heed 
and to follow the leadership of the pastor. Listen to what it says in verse number 17. It says it very clearly and very plainly. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive. Those two words, obedience and submission, are not words that are very popular in our day and age, are they? Let's just be candid about it. You don't want to be told to obey another person. You think to yourself, well, who is this person or who is that person? Don't they know who I am? And don't I have a dignity of my own? And of course, the answer to that question is yes. Submission and obedience. We don't tend to like these words. And yet they, they are words that are there nonetheless. And they are here in this passage with reference to those who are placed in spiritual leadership over the body. Now, of course, there are moments in the life of a church where a, a body of Christ has to break way and go a different direction from their spiritual shepherd because perhaps they're not doing what is biblical or they're not doing what's right or they've done something egregious or in those cases like that. But generally speaking, what the Scriptures are going to say to us is that when this man comes to lead our church, we let him do precisely that, lead. And he cannot lead if the people of God will not follow. Now, sometimes people don't follow for a lot of different reasons. But let me just address one thing that should not be found among us at all in the days to come. And that's stiff-neckedness. Just a refusal and a stubbornness to do it differently. Church, change is permanent. There inevitably will be change that comes in the days to come. And we trust the process and the people that God put in place to bring us to this day. Listen, I know that the process was longer than most of you wanted it to be. But can I just say this, and I'm not trying to blow smoke uh, towards the search committee. I, I wouldn't want it to be done any other way than it happened. Because this was a process where once again there were a people who were willing to get on their face and pray and beg God for clarity and direction and wisdom. And folks, I don't care how long it takes. I will trust a process like that every time. And as a result, here we are. We trust the people and we trust the process. And we also now trust the one that God has anointed to come and be in this place. And if all of that is true, then as he comes, listen, sometimes the furniture is going to get rearranged. And it'll always be our tendency to dig in our heels, to let our neck grow stiff, and to get stubborn. Folks, I just want to tell you right now, if that's what we decide to do in the days to come, we are not being what God has called us to be. The instructions of the Scripture are obey those who rule over you and be submissive. Now, there are a lot of different models of leadership in our world today. And sometimes the pastor is likened unto them. And I would say there's a degree of this, yes, sure, in each one of these cases that we could look at. But a couple of these, it would only be analogous. So, for example, sometimes the pastor is likened into a CEO. A CEO certainly casts vision and direction and his team must follow. And that's true for a pastor, but it's not the same way. It's not the same kind of leadership because it, it, it's not tyrannical. It's not dictatorial, not to say that all CEOs do that, but it can be. It's not to be that way in the life of a pastor. It's not that of a general or a president, right? I mean, it's not, there's, some, there's some analogs in there, but it's not exactly the same, so, same way. So what is 
a pastor supposed to be? A pastor is a shepherd's servant. A shepherd, as I said a minute ago, comes and leads the people away from harm and leads them into goodness. And he does that through the way he preaches, the way he casts vision, the way he counsels, and all of those things. And he does that as a servant of God, as we'll see here in the text in just a few moments. That is ultimately what a pastor is called to do. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse number 2 through verse number 3, the apostle Peter says this, that the elders are exhorted to, to, to participate in the glory of what is revealed. Shepherds are to shepherd the flock of God among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not dishonestly for gain, nor being lords over the people who are entrusted to, to them, but they're to be examples to the flock, and when the chief shepherd appears, they will receive the crown of glory, which does not fade away. What is that saying? And that a shepherd ultimately is an under-shepherd. Christ is the great shepherd. And we who stand in these roles here serve as under-shepherds, meaning under his leadership, for his kingdom, executing the same kinds of tasks. That is what a pastor is called to do. So the body of Christ we follow that spiritual leadership. Here's a second thing that we're called to do. Verse number 18. You're called, number one, to follow into uh, His leadership. Number two, pray for them regularly. Pray especially for Chad regularly and for Cole and for his family. Verse number 18, pray for us, he simply says. And notice the, the very next thing he references. We are confident that we are of good conscience. So there's a prayer here being offered, praying for what? The only clues we have here to know what he's getting at here have to do with his conscience, where he stands and where he sits before God. How can you pray for your pastor? Let me mention a couple things. I'll just say this to you. I don't know if it's just the cumulative effect of 2020. I don't know. I think it was getting hostile and difficult even before 2020 came along. But I'll just say it to you, folks. Leadership today is incredibly difficult. I, I didn't ask for this. Uh, God called me to this when I was 18 years old. He gave, started giving me opportunities way back then to have leadership abilities and leadership responsibilities and leadership roles. And leadership is never easy. But I can just tell you right now, friends, leadership has never, ever been this difficult as it is right now. There are troubles and difficulties on every corner. There are problems at every turn. So how do you pray for your next pastor? Number one, pray for purity and godliness above everything else. Pray that regularly for Chad, for Cole, and for his family. Pray for purity and godliness. Simply put, the challenges can bring the worst out of you sometimes. I got to be honest with you, when you're a pastor... There's a target on your back. Y'all, I don't know how to explain it. This is a, I wouldn't trade anything for the work that God has allowed me to do throughout my ministry. It has been glorious. It has been wonderful. Some of the most meaningful moments of my life have come because I, I sat in these roles and I had these responsibilities. And while they were difficult, I wouldn't take anything for them. But let me be honest with you. There have been a lot of difficult moments. There is a fatigue. There is a loneliness in leadership. There's specifically to pastoral leadership. There's a fatigue. There's a loneliness to us that, that I just don't know how to explain to you. 
I call it the Sunday afternoon blues. I, I, it never made any sense to me for the longest time. I could get up on a Sunday morning and preach my heart out, and it could go fairly well on that Sunday morning, but I don't know what it was. I would go home that afternoon, and I would just be blue. I would be melancholy. I would be almost on the edge of a depression almost. And for years, it never made any sense to me whatsoever until finally one day it began to make a whole lot of sense. You know what I do in this moment? I get up in this pulpit and I pour myself out. And now I'm empty. And I got to tell you, do that again and 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 again across the span of years. There's accumulation to that. This can be a difficult place. This can be a lonely place. So pray for your pastors. And you get in these moments and this loneliness and this difficulty and now all of a sudden everybody wants to chime in with their two cents about everything. Can I just urge you, you need to be careful what you say to your pastor. You could pierce him to the core of his being if you're not careful. You can hurt and you can wound if you're not careful. And sadly, too often, most people within the body of Christ don't realize that they're doing that. And then even worse, some don't care. And you can wound and inflict. And in those moments, it can if we're not constantly on guard and if there aren't people constantly praying for them regularly, it can bring the worst out of you. So pray for His purity and His godliness above everything else. Pray for wisdom. Decisions constantly have to be made. And the choices are rarely optimal. And the opinions are always swirling. And they're always strong. Your pastor will very likely regularly be in a scenario where he's darned if he does and he's darned if he doesn't. If he does this, there'll be this group of people that really hate it. And if he does that, there'll be that group of people that really hate it. Can I just say to all of us, please don't do that to your next pastor. Please don't do that to your next pastor. Pray for wisdom for him, that he would make the right call and that he'd have peace in his heart and his mind as he makes that call. Pray for godliness. Pray for wisdom. Pray for strength. It's a wearying role sometimes. It can wear the strongest men down. So pray that God every single morning would give him a new infusion of strength and capacity. A new vigor every single day to rise up and throw his hands into the work one more time again that day. And he'll probably go home very, very tired and exhausted that afternoon. But pray that God's mercies would be new to him every single morning and that there would be a strength. And then most of all, pray that he would love. Pray that his love for God would never diminish. That the routine of being a pastor doesn't bring a familiarity to his relationship to God such that his heart begins to grow cold. Uh, I've mentioned this to you in some of my sermons in the past because, you know, I, uh, I pray a lot publicly. And because I have done it so many times, I have gotten used to it in many ways. And if I'm not careful, if I'm not vigilant, I can, it can become familiar to me. And when that happens, 
It's not happening out of an overflow for love. So pray that your pastor's love for God would never diminish. Pray that his love for people would constantly grow and increase. This is how you pray for your pastor. So follow his leadership. Number two, pray for him. Pray along the lines that I've given you here this morning. Now, the next question. Why? Especially on this submission and obedience type of thing. Why? Okay, so the Scripture's calling us as the body of Christ to follow His spiritual leadership. Well, okay, why? Why must we do that? Let me answer that question with two statements from here. Number three, if you're following along. Because they watch out and give an account for your souls. Notice what the Bible says in verse number 17. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive. Listen to this. For they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. Now you're going to give an account for your own soul, right? You are going to stand before God and give an account for every idle word that you've said, every deed that you've done. I mean, listen, God has seen it all. And He knows it all, warts and all, nooks and crannies and all. There is no secrets with God whatsoever. And one day, each of us will stand before God and give an account for our lives, right? So you will give an account for your life. But guess what? Your next pastor, Chad, is going to give an account for his own life. And he's also going to give an account for your life. Now, you bear a huge responsibility. You, you bear full responsibility for your own life. But how well he shepherded this congregation, how well he tended to the flock, how well he nurtured them and steered them and guided them and when and where necessary rebuked them and exhorted them. Listen, the pastor bears a tremendous influence in the life of a people. And he can steer them away with the wrong words, or he can steer them closer to Christ with the right words and the right life. And how well he leads has a ripple effect through all of us for the rest of our lives. And there's a stewardship involved in this. Every single time you open the scriptures and speak, this is what God is saying. I tell you, folks, that is a tremendous responsibility in that moment. Because you know what? You get it wrong. You have misrepresented God and you've misled the people of God. If you counsel the wrong way, if you lead the wrong way, it can have the wrong effect on people. This is a responsibility. That if I'm candid with you, I did not fully appreciate in my younger years of ministry. It's not that I thought of my role as just a job of some kind. I didn't. I understood that the, the dynamics of this were there, but I didn't appreciate their magnitude. And I got to tell you, now with every passing year and every passing responsibility that's put on me, that I can see it more clearly for what it is. There is now a responsibility and a stewardship in the lives of people to guide them to Christ. And if I don't do that right, I give an account for God. The book of James tells us this as well, right? James chapter 3. Teachers, let there not be many among you who are teachers, knowing that you shall receive a stricter judgment. Look, the author of Hebrews is telling us here that this man, Chad Gilbert, will now watch over our souls as a shepherd and as our spiritual leader in this church, and he will give an account before God. And I tell you, friends, that is a weighty reality that he takes upon himself. So why should you follow him? Listen, he... He may get it wrong sometimes. In fact, if He tarries with us long, and I hope and pray as you all do too, that He will. 
if, he, if he's with us a long time, I guarantee you there'll be some things that he gets wrong sometimes. You know why? Because he's human. Just like you and just like me. But if he does, you don't have to tear him down. He'll give an account to God. Look, I've had to say to people under my leadership before in recent days, listen, for better or worse, the buck stops with me. This is what I see. This is what we have to do. And if I get it wrong, then that's on me. That is the reality of one standing in these roles. And so this is a man coming to us who's going to watch over and lead and guide and direct us. And he'll give an account to God for what he does. So, therefore, let's support him in it. Let's encourage him in it. Let's pray for him in it because it is a weighty responsibility. Fourthly, the last thing I'll say, and this is the second part of that answer, that second question. Why must we do this? Because it blesses the body. It blesses the body. Look at what it says at the end of verse number 17. He's going to watch out for our souls as one who must give an account. Then it says this, Let them do so with joy, not with grief. For that would be unprofitable for you. It seems as though that there have, in some contexts, some people take it upon themselves to make sure the preacher's doing it the right way. The, the one or two or five or whoever and however it could be in a church that will see it as their job to constantly needle, constantly get after somebody. All that does is creates genuine heartache and pain and sorrow and grief. And what the scriptures are saying here, it's not supposed to be that way. We should follow, we should lead, we should support, we should shoulder up with him and get after it for the kingdom in such a way that he finds, despite the heaviness of the responsibilities associated with being a pastor, we should go about our support and participation in the ministry with him in such a way that despite all those heavinesses, he finds this to be a tremendous joy to walk with us and to labor with us for the gospel. Let it be a joy to him, not a grief. Why? Because then that wouldn't be good for all of us. What value is there in any dysfunction? Consider dysfunction in your own life. Maybe it's in your families. Maybe it's in your workplace. Maybe, maybe it's in your community. Consider dysfunction. Do you like it? Do you want it? Wouldn't you get rid of it if you could? Yes, yes, yes. You'd get rid of it. And so why would we deliberately give ourselves to a pathway here together that would breed dysfunction? The Scriptures would say, do not do that. And so First Baptist, as we think together this morning about this new chapter in this new day. I want to say to all of us, and look, in just about a month or so, I'm coming down off of this platform, and I'm out there with you. I take my spot back up in the pew with great joy and with great excitement for this new chapter. So for us, what I want to say to us this morning is that we now have a responsibility to this new family that God has entrusted to us, have brought to us, to walk with them, to support them, to follow them in the way they lead us on mission for the kingdom here in the city of New Orleans, to pray for them regularly, and to redouble our commitments to the collective work that we have together. I'll just say it to you this way. If 
you have not really thrown yourselves in yet to the ministries of this church. Now is the time to do this. Now is the time to get behind this pastor and let's get after it together for the kingdom. Praise God for the new, that, new day that he's brought to us and the new pastor that he's brought to us. I pray for us, church, that we would be faithful and that we would be obedient to the scriptures and that together we would, we would be a part of a new chapter in this church of great blessing and great joy, not just for us, but also in advancing the kingdom of God in the city of New Orleans. Great God, we pray that you would make it so in our lives. Thank you so very, very much for this new day and this new chapter. We look forward with great anticipation and joy to the Gilberts coming to be with us. And we pray, Father, that you'd help us to be diligent, to do our part, to shoulder up beside them and with them, to walk with them, and to follow them as they lead us. And that together, God, your kingdom would be built, your gospel would be preached, and that many new sons and daughters would come into the kingdom as, the, as a result of the work of this church. Father, we love you. We bless you. We thank you so much for the way that you have loved us and guided us. And we pray now that, God, you'd help us to be faithful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.